morning, Matthew chapter 7, and we're also going to be spending some time in the book of James, Matthew 7 and the book of James, if you guys want to get your Bibles open and ready. Glad you guys can make it out here this morning. Let's pray and let's go ahead and get started then. Heavenly Father, good to be here, thankful for those that you brought out just to learn and to grow in you, and... Uh, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would lead, guide, and teach in all ways and all things. And let it be about you and not about us. And during this next hour, as we learn of you, just pray your spirit would lead. And as we leave this building, we'd have a focus on eternity and all we say and do in your name. Amen. Okay, I just want to add a couple little quick tidbits here to the announcements uh, that uh, Renee and Jonathan gave. One of the other things that we're doing coming up at April 17th, April 17th, we're going to be sending a group over to the nursing home over in Holgate. And we're going to be doing the church service over there. If that's something that interests you, see Pastor Rich. Uh, we're going to be meeting up here at 10, taking off about 10, 15, taking the bus over. We're doing the church service over there in uh, Holgate Nursing Home, and then be back by 1130. So therefore, if some of you feel led to go over and be part of that, and the other of you kind of don't, some can stay here for church, some can go over and do that. I just ask you to prayerfully consider that. Another thing we've been praying about is going over to the filling home outside of Napoleon and hopefully get a chance to do some outreach there. Because you not only get a chance to minister to the residents, but also to the staff that's working and also to the family members that are coming. So Richard had a meeting with the filling home this week, and we're hoping to get more details. And we're hoping we can do that in May, just to kind of remember that it's not about us. It's about Jesus, so that getting out beyond these four walls. So keep April 17th in prayer concerning that. And if that's something that interests you, see Rich, and he'll point you in the right direction. Renee also mentioned about the possible Saturday classes coming up here in April. We're still praying about that. We're thinking about doing a discipleship class on Saturday mornings that Richard would teach from 10 to 11.30, just be three, four weeks long. And then also a lot of people don't realize this. Even though we celebrate the resurrection this coming Sunday, Passover, Passover is actually in April. And so one of the things that we would talk about is Jesus in the Passover. What does that mean and what does that represent about Christ in the Passover? And I thought about teaching some classes on that. If that interests you, like I said, be from 10 to 1130 on Saturdays in April. I don't know if we would start April 2nd or April 9th. But if you're interested in that, see Rich, see me so we can kind of get a feel if people want to go do that. And then Jonathan mentioned the other stuff too, the upcoming marriage retreat, um, you know, the movie night that's coming up there. And there was something else that he mentioned I can't remember. I was joking at the first service. What it comes down to is this. If you want to have fun, just listen to Jonathan's announcements because those are just always fun. If you want to impact people for Jesus, see Richard. See, that seems, that seems to happen. And I'm picking. I'm just kidding there because everything with Richard is like, if you want to go do this outreach, go see Richard. If you want to go to this, see Richard. But if you want to have a really good time, go see Jonathan. So that's kind of how it's kind of going on here a little bit there. So you got the service opportunities, but you got the fellowship opportunities, and both of them are important. And that's kind of the fun of serving the Lord is having the blessing of both of those and hopefully giving those opportunities to you guys as a church to be able to get out there and serve, represent Christ, make a difference in the community for the Lord, but also have the joy of fellowship of just coming together as a body of believers too. So with that being said, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Continuing our study here through the book of Matthew, and you've heard me mention this many times before, as we're going through Matthew, this idea of the Sermon on the Mount, this is a message that Jesus gave to his disciples. This is for us to know how do we live a pure life in an impure world? How do we live for Christ in a world that cares nothing about Christ in this darkness? This message is for us. This is our moral code as believers and how to live. We started back in Matthew chapter 5 about understanding the emptiness that we need to have of needing a Savior. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Then Christ went ahead and talked about how he's not looking for just 
outward obedience, but he wants your heart. Using the examples of adultery, using the examples of murder, not only in your heart, excuse me, not only on the outside not doing it, but in your heart being focused on the Lord. Then he used the examples of outward righteousness, the idea of giving, the idea of fasting and praying. He just doesn't want you to do that on the outside. He wants your heart concerning that as well. And now for the next couple of weeks, we're dealing with things that are very difficult to see on the outside. You know, we can see the idea of praying. We could even see the idea of fasting to an extent. But here, last week, talking about not worrying, and here now talking about not judging. These are things that we can fake really good and not see it all from the outside. But the Lord says, in your heart, are you walking in worry, fear, and anxiety? Because that's a sin, he says, for not trusting the Lord. In your heart, are you having an element of judgmentalness towards other people? Because that's a sin. And let's talk about that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Commentators said that probably Matthew 7, verse 1 is the most common quoted verse by non-believers in the world. Judge not, lest you be judged. Who are you to say anything about my life? I've had non-believers say that to me. Doesn't your Bible say, judge not, lest you be judged? You're judging me. You're judging me by saying that I'm going down. You're judging me by saying that that is sin. You're judging me. Let's talk about that word judge really means. See, this idea of judging, it means literally to determine, to resolve. It means to govern, to condemn. We would say in just really simple vernacular that we're going to be judge, jury, and executioner. What we're really saying is I can look at a person and I can determine their motives. I can determine their heart. And I know why they did exactly what they did. And I only had to see that person for a split second in Walmart. I only had to see that person just driving for just a tiny little bit, and I know everything about them, because I can judge by just looking at those little actions. And then what happens is, I in my own heart then determine, I govern, I resolve, I condemn, I can conclude that person's personality, that person's motives, everything. That's what it means to judge. And the Lord is coming back and saying, that is a sin. Because who are you to get into that person's life and heart and to know what's really going on and what's really happening? Now, the problem is, sometimes with judging, sometimes you're right. And so we're right a couple times. Well, I know. What do you know? I know what they meant. I know what they said. I know what they thought. I know why they did that. And then time goes on to prove that maybe you were right. So since we had success once, two, or three times, now we start thinking that we have this gift of the Spirit to do it all the time. And God says, no, you don't know the heart. You don't know what's going on. And so when you have that determination, that resolve, that condemnation, that is not of me. Do not judge. Because we don't know. I've got a couple quick verses I just want to share with this real quick. I'm just going to put them up here. You can write down the references if you want. The font's a little small. A little hard to read. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you're of the Spirit, you'll see them. See? Right there we go. How's that? James 4. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, 
You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? That's the law's job to judge. That's God's job to judge. James is trying to tell us, who are you? Who are you to make that judgment call on somebody? Colossians tells us this. Let no one judge from food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. How often do we as believers judge people when it comes to those type of events and we say our way is the right way? Last one, 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Judge nothing. Judge nothing before the time. Be careful that we don't try to get in there and make these judgment calls towards people. And and it's not based on anything in any way whatsoever, but based on our own experience and opinion on a very tiny bit of information. Guys, we do it all the time. We see somebody in a store and we make a judgment call on them. We see somebody driving, we make a judgment call on them. We see somebody in church, we make a judgment call on them. We don't know what's really going on. We hear these little sound bites on TV and we make a judgment call on athletes, politicians, etc. And we condemn, we resolve, we govern. We know we're right, we know they're wrong. Don't take this too far, but uh, Renee and I like to bet on things. $500 limit, that's what we've always said right there. We bet, we bet on the All-Star game. Uh, we like to bet on the Super Bowl and we just bet something very simple, just like a little drink or something like that, a Gatorade or something along the type of line. Don't take it too far. I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. <laughs> so this year, the Super Bowl was coming around, Carolina Panthers versus the Denver Broncos. He chose the Panthers. I chose the Broncos. So he was telling me about how much he likes Cam Newton, the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. And my response was, I don't like him. Well, I just don't like him. I don't know. I just don't like the way he does this. I don't like the way he does that. What was I doing? Making a judgment call. Based on what? Little sound bites I hear on TV, by little articles I read, etc. So what am I doing? I'm determining, I'm resolving, I'm governing that I don't like this. And we do that in life all the time. I really started getting into baseball about 20, 25 years ago, really following the Atlanta Braves. And I, to this day, cannot stand anything to do with the New York Mets. Can't stand them. Mets fans just annoy me. I see the garb, I see the gear. Shea Stadium always bothers me. Why? There's nothing to it. We make these judgment calls and we just go with it and we go. Not based on any fact or anything or not based on the love of God. We do this all the time. Now, maybe sport things like the Mets or who's going to win the Super Bowl is not a big deal. But it becomes a big deal when it starts becoming co-workers, friends, family members. And start happening is what? We determine in our own mind what is right and wrong, and therefore they don't do what we want them to do or say it the way we want them to say it, so therefore we judge. What happens when you judge? Verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. A couple biblical examples of this, you remember in the book of Esther, specifically Esther chapter 7, there was this man by the name of Haman who hated the Jews, hated the Jews, and hated specifically this one Jewish man by the name of Mordecai. So Haman hated him so much, was trying to set Mordecai up for failure, actually went out and built gallows for Mordecai to be hanged on. And you know what happens in Esther chapter 7. The truth comes out, and Haman is hanged on the gallows he built for Mordecai. The judgment he used came back on him. What about the story of David and Bathsheba and Nathan? You know what happens with that. David has an affair with Bathsheba. He has Bathsheba's husband killed. He tries to cover it up. They go in a full year in this unrepentant state. Nathan the prophet comes in and says, King David, I got a story for you. David says, go ahead. 
And he basically tells the story of, hey, there was this guy that had all the sheep he could ever wanted. And then there was this other guy who only had one little lamb, and he loved this little lamb so much. Well, the guy that had all the sheep that he could ever wanted came and stole that little lamb from that guy. King David, what do you think we should do? Well, David has anger, and he says, we should do this, and we should do that, and this is the punishment that should happen. How dare that man steal that little lamb? And that's when Nathan looks at David and said, you are that man. The judgment he used came back on him. Got to be careful about that. God says, do not judge. We have to be careful because we don't know the motives. We don't know the story. We don't know what's going on. Now, at the moment, we think we're right. We think we know for sure, but the truth is we don't. Has that ever happened to you where you had that person make that judgment call on you? Oh, man, but you weren't trying to do anything. I shared the story at the first service, and I was glad he was here because it involves uh, David Perry. Jumping back a couple decades ago, I can't remember, I was either a junior or senior in high school, and there was some competition at school where you had to sell so much of something. You're always selling something at school. I can't remember. It was either pizzas or magazines. I sold enough, and that for lunch, Limo came to the school, picked us up, and took us to Peas and Ellos for lunch. So junior or senior year, I went ahead and did this. And uh, at that time, Mr. Perry was my physics teacher. And so he went along as one of the teacher chaperones. So we go to Peas and Ellos and Dash. So we're eating lunch. And one of the guys that came along with us was a bit ornery. So as we got ready to leave, he took all the salt and pepper shakers. And he unscrewed all their lids. So you know what's going to happen. Someone takes a salt or pepper shaker. As soon as they do it, they dump it. All the salt, all the pepper comes out. Ha, ha, ha. It would be funny. So he unscrews all the lids. I say, man, don't, don't do that. He goes, oh, it'll be funny. I'm going to do that. Don't do that. He gets up and leaves. I said, this isn't right. So I go over to all the salt and pepper shakers, and I start tidying them up. Mr. Perry walks over. He goes, don't do that. I said, I, you don't understand? He goes, no, don't, don't do that. I said, you don't understand. I'm actually trying to do what's good, tightening them up. But it sure looked the other way, Right? You know, 22, 23 years later, I still haven't forgiven him for that. You know, that judgment call that came. We do that. We make a judgment call. I do this as a father all the time. I fail all the time. I walk into a room, and I see this mess of boys. And I hear grunts and groans, and you name it, and people on top of each other. And I come in as Papa Bear, and I get my voice going, and I say, what's going on in here? They're just having fun. But you know what? At that time, I'm making the judgment call. The Lord says, step back, you don't know. So does this mean that we never make a judgment call on anything? Who are we to say right is wrong or wrong is right? Who are we to say anything? No, this is where you get to get the full context of God's word. God has said we're not supposed to be the judge. We're not supposed to condemn. We're not supposed to go there and determine to resolve. So what are we supposed to do? Let's just stay in Matthew 7, jump ahead. We'll get to this in a little bit, but look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. I remember Greg Laurie saying one time, I'm not called to judge, but I am called to inspect fruit. There's a lot of truth to that. We need to have fruit Inspection. You know, there's qualifications for leadership in the church. If you look in 1 Timothy 3, we're called to look at someone's life and say, does this person match that standard? I'm going to inspect fruit. Now, spring right here, no buds, no leaves. 
If you're not really good at trees, you may go look at a tree right now and say, I have no idea what type of tree this is. Six months from now, you'll find out if it's a fruit tree. It will have fruit. Or if I will tell you this is a fruit tree, what type of fruit tree do you think this is? I don't know. Six months from now, I'll find out. Why? Because it will be producing fruit. Same thing spiritually. I have a tendency to look at somebody and just have a brief interaction with them. And I judge them. What Jesus is saying is actually step back and look at the fruit. Because in time, you'll see what type of fruit they produce. Because people do produce fruit. We produce good fruit, and we produce bad fruit. And if I step back and look at this person for six months, I'll get a pretty good feel for where this person is at spiritually with the Lord. So it's not that we're never called to look at somebody and say, where are they standing with Christ? We are called to do that, and that is inspecting fruit, and we can see that. But what Jesus is telling us here is let go of that judgmental attitude of you know everything, and you know why, and you know this, and you know that. Let it go. That's not of the Lord. Step back, take a look at the fruit, see where they stand with the Lord, and then go from there. We've got to be careful that we don't do that. Because we are called to... Make judgment calls. We are called to say what is right and what is wrong. We are called to call sin out. Now, why don't we do that? Why don't we want to call sin out? It's difficult, isn't it? It hurts relationships. I just started making a quick list. Why don't we do it? You know somebody's doing something they shouldn't do. You're not being judgmental, but you know it's wrong. I mean, you just know it's morally wrong. It's biblically wrong. It's spiritually wrong. And I should go tell them this, but I don't want to. Why? First point I wrote down, because of my past. Who am I to say anything? I've had parents come up to me for years. Well, I should really tell my teenager to not do this, but I know I did that when I was their age, and I'd be a hypocrite. No. You're going to go to them and say, you know what? I learned the hard way. Help me teach you the right way. Well, I can't go and say anything now because of my present. Because I know I'm doing things I shouldn't do, so who am I to go and say anything to anybody? Well, let me encourage you with Psalm 139. Search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, if there's something in my life right now that is not right, show it to me so I can become the person you called me to be. I tell you right now, the most convicted person on a Sunday morning is me. Because I'm up here teaching this and I'm saying, am I loving this? Am I doing this? And Lord, if I'm not, I want to do this. So don't let your past keep you from proclaiming truth. That's Satan's way of constantly trying to remind you of mistakes and dumb choices you made years ago. What did Paul say in Philippians 3? Basically said, I put my past behind me and I press towards the goal of Christ Jesus. That's what we got to do. Okay, why else do we not say anything? Because we don't want to hurt relationships. You don't understand, James. I got to work with this person every day. I got to live with this person every day. I'm going to see this person every day. If I go to them and say, I think what you're doing is wrong, I think this is going to hurt your walk with Christ. This is going to hurt your family. I believe this is going to hurt you because you proclaim to be a believer. Well, wait a second. What do you care more about? Would we rather have that person in sin and not corrected rather than focus on eternity? That's what we're basically saying. Is it's easier to let them just keep on doing what they're doing rather than call it out. Sometimes we've got to call it out. Third reason why we sometimes don't say something, we're not qualified. I, I don't know what I would say, I don't know the scriptures, I don't know anything like that, so I don't even know what I would say, so therefore I say nothing. Let me encourage you by saying this, and please don't take this the wrong way. If you don't know what you would say, start studying to find out what you would say. Be diligent to get into the scriptures and know. I still don't know. Call me, call Rich, call Renee, we'll point you in the right direction, we'll give you the scriptures. Don't let those instances keep you from taking a stand for the truth. 
because you're afraid of losing a relationship or my past keeps me or I'm not qualified. God has told us to take a stand for a truth. And I tell you, right now in this world we live in, we need a lot of truth. Because there's so many different thoughts and opinions out there of what is right. We know the truth. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. God's word is truth. And that's what we need to stand for. Now, we know we're supposed to go sometimes and call out truth. How are we supposed to do it? How are we supposed to do it? Two quick verses on it. You don't need to turn there, but you can just write the references down. Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15 says we're supposed to speak the truth in love. So as you go out there and proclaim truth, do it in love. Do it in love. Galatians says this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We're supposed to do it gently, and we're supposed to make sure that we're being spiritual. Now, right there, some of you may say, well, that's not me. I'm not spiritual. That word spiritual in that sentence, excuse me, in that verse, just means being led by the Spirit. We're all hopefully led by the Spirit. So when it comes to correcting somebody and calling out sin, there's three things. We're supposed to speak the truth in love, have a spirit of gentleness, and be spirit-led. If you do those three things, then you're in the Lord's will and you're of the Lord. Well, they don't respond real good. You can't control how they respond, but you can only control how you present it. Guys, there's going to be times where you have to take a stand. And you're going to have to look at a loved one, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, and say, I love you enough to tell you that that's wrong. I'm not judging you. I'm not attacking you. But I'm looking at the fruit of your life. And this is not lining up what the Bible says. And if you claim to be a believer or a Christian, I want you to have a full life for the Lord. And so I care enough to come and tell you that. And I'm going to do it in a spirit of gentleness. I'm going to speak the truth in love. And I'm going to make sure that I'm spirit-led. Now, as we do these things, are we doing it hypocritically, though? Because look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Boy, this happens a lot, doesn't it? I see something in somebody else's life that isn't right. It's a little speck. They need to work on it. And I got a two-by-four sticking out of my eye. What Jesus is trying to say here is, listen, you cannot speak hypocritically. And this is what the unbelieving world looks at us with Christians all the time. This idea that we are promoting truth and trying to proclaim Christ, but they look at our lives and say, you? You're going to speak to me about the truth and a pure life? I know what you like. I know what you say. I know how you live. I know how you act. And it's the two-by-four coming out. I had a phone call years and years ago. Somebody came up and asked me about this. They said, does so-and-so go to your church? That's never a good question. Because they're usually not saying, oh, they're the greatest person in the world. So yes, you know, this person pops out here sometimes. Well, do you know what they do? No, I don't know what they do. Well, what this person was, they were going to parties, and they were getting high, and they were getting drunk, and walking around with a beer in their hand trying to tell people about Jesus. Now, how is the unbelieving world going to look at that and say, that's what I want. That's an on-fire, born-again relationship with Christ. No. The two-by-four coming out of that person's eye was so big that their witness and their testimony became nothing. See, what Jesus is trying to say here is, listen, take a good look at your life. We quoted earlier in Psalm 139, search me, try me. Is there any iniquity in me? Then lead me in the way of everlasting. If you're sitting here saying, well, the reason I don't say anything to anybody or I don't go share my faith is because I know what I'm like spiritually. Once again, please don't take this the wrong way. Then if you know there's areas that aren't right, let's work on those lovingly together. Let's work on those as a team. Let's help you through that because we want you to go out there and be everything you can be in the Lord. 
The reason we're here is to proclaim Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing these things. That's why we're going to the nursing homes and hopefully the filling homes. That's why we're going to do some of these service projects is to go out there and proclaim Christ. That's the whole purpose. So when we go out there and share the Lord, we don't want to be disqualified. So does this mean you share Christ with anybody at any time, anywhere? Well, interestingly enough, the answer is no. Because look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. If Jesus is the greatest example that we're supposed to follow, there are numerous references in the Bible to when Jesus kept his mouth shut. He's standing before Herod. He's standing before Pilate. And Herod and Pilate are asking him questions. Herod wants to see a little bit of a circus act. And the Bible says that Jesus said nothing. Why? Because at that moment and at that time, no fruit would have came out of that. Pearls before swine. You know, and this is not even in Christ. Paul talks about this in Acts 19. They're ministering at Ephesus. And guess what happens? Some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. So Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples. Paul says, hey, listen, I'm trying to share Christ with you guys, but you know what? Your heart's hardened. You're speaking evil the way. Best thing I can do is I'm just going to leave. There's been times for me personally when I've been out there sharing my faith where the Lord says, just be done. Just be done. Their heart's not ready. Their heart's not open. But, but Lord, all of a sudden I become smarter than God. But Lord, give me one more chance. My eloquent words will speak to this hardened heart. Just let it go. And then it feels like we're giving up. We're not giving up. It's knowing when to plant and when not. Now, the problem is we don't know. There's times where I feel like I'm planting on concrete, and next thing you know, those things grow. There's times where I feel like I'm planting on the best soil ever, and there's never any growth. The Lord says, trust me to scatter the seed. Trust me to plant the seed. You just be willing and available. But what Jesus is saying here in verse 6 is sometimes you're in the midst of that conversation, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you saying, just let it go. Now it's not the time. Now it's not the place. Well, that's a tough thing to know when and how. Well, that's why you have verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. See, that's the beauty of this next passage. Jesus goes right into saying, well, ask me for wisdom. Seek me for wisdom. Know what the plan is. And this literally in the Greek should be keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's a constant thing of asking the Lord for wisdom and guidance and direction because we want to be spirit-led in all we do. I ask you to go to the book of James. Can you go with me right now to James 1, please? James 1. What does it mean to ask and seek and knock? Because we need this wisdom. Lord, when do I say it? How do I say it? Do I even say anything at all? Lord, when do I call that sin out? Lord, when do I go and inspect that fruit? Should I just keep my mouth shut or should I say something? Because I don't want to hurt the kingdom, Lord, but at the same time I want to take a stand for truth. Show me, Lord, what? Well, keep on asking. Asking for what? Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not let that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I like how the New Living Translation says it. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Isn't that wonderful? 
So you're called to take a stand for the truth. You're called to go out there and be enlightened a witness. You don't know what to say, how to say it. The Lord gives you wisdom. Keep on asking Him. And as you keep on asking Him, keep on seeking Him. It goes back to the verse we talked about last week, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. That word seek, solely focused on that. So often in life, we allow other situations to control us. When God says, let it just be me. Keep seeking me. When you keep seeking Him, everything else falls into place. So, Lord, I keep on asking you for wisdom and guidance. I keep on seeking you, and then I keep on knocking. What is knocking? Knocking shows resistance. The door is shut. You can't knock on an open door. So, therefore, understand there's going to be some resistance. Do you really think you can go out into a fallen world, take a stand for the truth, and not run into resistance? Do you really think we can go out and spread the gospel to a dying world and not expect to run into some resistance? So, Lord, I'm going to keep on asking you for wisdom and guidance and direction. I'm going to keep on seeking you to keep my heart and soul focused on you. And then I'm going to keep on knocking because this is what I'm called to do. Take a stand for the truth. Share the gospel. Go out and do it. And to keep myself from being judgmental. And I trust that my good God will meet my needs. Because look right here, verse 9. Or what man is there among you? His son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Isn't that great? You ask Him for wisdom, and He takes care of you. Your God is good. You know, we've been singing that praise and worship song a lot lately, that idea of the good, good Father. Our God is good. Psalms just comes right out and says the Lord is good and does good. Romans tells us that in all things God works for the good. Now you've heard me say this point many times before. The problem with that is you and I have a different definition of good. So what I think is good may not be what God thinks is good. And what God thinks is good, I may not think is good. I think it's good for my kids to go to bed at a good time. They don't. There's certain things that we determine as good or not good. Now, the question is, do you trust your Father, your Heavenly Father, to always take care of you and give you good in your life? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Because He says, I will take care of you. And He uses this example. If your son asks for bread, verse 9, are you going to give him a stone? Of course not. If your son asks for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Of course not. Now, did you catch the backhanded compliment here from Jesus? If you then being evil... <laughs> We're evil. I'm an evil man. I'm an evil man that loves my children and I'll make sure they're fed and clothed and taken care of. I'm an evil man that will make sure my kids are taken care of in all ways. And Jesus is saying, James, if you being a sinful evil man will still do good for your kids, how much more good do you think I'll do for you? Now think about that. Parents here, you would never do anything to harm your children. And your Heavenly Father loves you more than you love your kids. And your father loves your kids more than you love your kids. And he's going to always do good. The problem is this. We become the little two-year-old spiritual temper tantrum. Because my definition of good is not your definition of good, God. And so therefore, I don't like what you're saying. You have to trust him. That he will always lead you in good. And you have to trust his definition of good. You have to. If he calls something wrong, it's wrong. If he calls something right, it's right. He's good. If He allows something into your life, He will work it for good. If He takes something out of your life, it's for good. I've been reading a lot in my devotions lately about this idea of the sovereignty of God. Oh, man, He's God and we're not. 
Who are we to determine anything? James says, I'm just a morning fog that appears for a little bit and disappears. I have to trust him that he will be good and do good and take care of me. But really what it comes down to is, Lord, do I want to be selfish or do I want to serve you? See, I get selfish a lot. And the Lord says, can't you just serve me and trust me for good? See, look what it says right here in verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I like to call this kindergarten Christianity. You want people to be nice to you, be nice to them. How simple is that? If I want my wife to be loving and encouraging and supportive and pray for me and be that spiritual woman that that is just there, shouldn't I then be loving and supportive and encouraging and praying for her? If I want to have friends that will be there for me in difficult times and always point me back towards Christ, well, shouldn't I be there for them to point them towards Christ? I mean, isn't this just how it goes? If I want brothers and sisters in the Lord that say I'm ready and willing to serve, shouldn't I be ready and willing to serve as well? Like I said, this is just kindergarten Christianity. That's how we want to be treated. That's how we treat other people. Now, the problem is what? You can treat other people perfectly fine. Co-workers, friends, family, spouses, kids, and they still treat you awful back. That's where you have to go back to the picture of Jesus who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You have to. Because there's many of you right now that can say, listen, I am so nice to my coworkers. I am so nice to my spouse. I am so nice to my friends and family. And they still treat me like this. You're doing what is right because it's right. Because Jesus set the example. You're not doing what is right to get something from them. You have a different moral code, and that's what you're going to live by. But so often what we do is, you treat me one way, I'll treat you the same way back. Just the other day we had a situation. I was Actually, it was just yesterday. I was in my bedroom working on the message. And as I'm in the bedroom, Elias, I'm, excuse me, Tyrus and Layden come in. Tyrus and Layden come in and they sit on the bed. You've heard me say many times before, if you ever sit on my bed, it is not good. That means you got in trouble by somebody. So, what's going on, guys? Nothing. Then why are you in here? Mom asked us to come in. What did you do? Nothing. Mom did not just tell you to come in and sit on the bed. What happened? Well, what happened was Tyrus and Layden were playing a game together. Uh, Layden did something Tyrus didn't like, so Tyrus pushed Layden. And so what did Layden do? He prayed for Tyrus and showed him the love of Jesus. No, he pushed him back. I mean, that's what he did. He pushed me, I pushed him, right? That's how we do it on the streets of Deschler. I mean, that's what they're talking about. No. We're called to be a different moral standard. So you get pushed, you don't push back. Now, they're three and six. Well, that's a three-year-old and a six-year-old. Some of you are 43 and 46, and you still do the same thing. Well, they said something about me, so I said, oh, come on. This is so simple in verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This sums up God's plan. Remember when they came to Jesus and said, basically, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus said that sums up everything you're supposed to do. Love me first. Put me first. And then every person you run into, love them like you love me. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. As you leave this building today, and maybe even before you leave this building today, you need to love everybody you run into like you would love Jesus. You need to let go of the judgmental mindset. If I know what they're thinking, I know what they're doing, I know why they said it, I know what's going on. No, you don't. I'm not going to judge. Now, sometimes I have to inspect fruit, and that's what I will do. But I'm not going to judge. 
I will also take a stand for the truth and I will call sin out. I will not let my past dictate what I say or don't say because I'm a new creation in Christ. I will not have the fear of hurting a relationship keep me from taking a stand for the truth because the truth trumps everything. And I will not sit here and say, well, I'm not qualified because I know God's word will give me wisdom because I just need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And God will give me wisdom. He'll give me guidance. He'll take care of me. Because why? My God is good. He's not going to give me a stone when I ask for bread. And he's not going to give me a snake when I ask for a fish. My God is good. And I take that goodness in verse 12. I apply it to everybody I run into. And I say, I'm going to treat you with the love and respect of Christ. Because that's the way I want to be treated. And that becomes the light and the witness in all that we do and all that we say. God will give you what is best. Trust Him. Trust Him. Don't take the matters into your own hands. Trust that your good Father will lead and guide you into all truth, into all ways, into all things. And that's what He's trying to teach us here, is to say, trust me. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for that judgmental mindset. When we see things and see people and situations, uh, Lord, we're wrong. Forgive us. Lord, help us, though, to take a stand for the truth. Lord, help us to boldly proclaim you.